Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome back to the front three. Uh, it's Chris Hennage, it's Nico Morales, it's Lawrence McKenna. Uh, you know the old format, and it's World Cup previews. Today, two of probably, I'd say, the most exciting groups, right, Nick? Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, we have Brazil in, in Group E, which is, I think, a lot of people's favorites in the competition. Obviously, Neymar has you know, shown the best of his abilities at, at the 2014 World Cup and obviously with world-class players like Messi and Ronaldo, that isn't always the case. We see the best of their form in the Champions League or La Liga or whatever club competition they have to play for. But with Brazil and with Neymar, it's been both club and country and I think that's why Brazil are, are really exciting. But they have a, a host of countries within that group that are really exciting. I mean, Switzerland is filled with a, a few players that can change the course of a game probably by themselves. Costa Rica were obviously the um, the surprise team in the 2014 World Cup, and then Serbia are, are a talented side. So I think that group is exciting, and then obviously Germany, Mexico, Sweden, and South Korea all have their storyline. So I think, it, yeah, you're right in saying that it's definitely two of the more exciting groups. Yeah, it's definitely footballingly very exciting, Chris. And I think we should probably pick up, kick off a uh, great show with the highlight team of Groupie, which of course is Brazil. And like Nico says, Neymar is supposedly the main man there. But there are other huge stars within this team. Uh, one of the most expensive players in the world, Felipe Coutinho. Uh, you know, Firmino can interchange with uh, someone like Gabriel Jesus up front. And then even outside of that, they've still got an all-star cast in terms of Alisson, who's one of the most sought-after goalkeepers in the league. And then Thiago Silva, who obviously had a hard time uh, previously with Brazil and is, is sort of uh, more out of outside out of mind if you like at PSG um, but it, it's not only that it's the, the 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 guys who maybe in the past you'd have called piano carriers maybe in Brazil they carry pianos in different ways yeah I think that's the beauty of this team and it's something that Tite has done quite a good job on I know some people criticize his decision to move the captaincy around but I, I think as, as symbolic as it is it does serve a purpose as well because it makes it feel at least like every player is valued. There is, because I think that there's a, a selflessness to, to being that piano carrier that you talk about. Whereas in this team, I think there are a lot of talented players that will be expected to contribute and, and provide um, difference-making moments, if you will. And I think that's what I really like about what Tite has done, because Dunga, for me, was... 
he was very formulaic, I think, in the way that he put the team together. Whereas TT, I think they've got a bit of their swagger back, first and foremost. And like I said, by passing the captaincy around, I think he's taken some of the pressure off Neymar. It's impossible to take all of it off because of who he is and, and what he's done in the game already with transfers and what have you. So I think he's doing a really good job of managing the situation and putting them at least in a, in a better position to succeed than previous tournaments. We'll come on to what happened just four years ago and felt, felt very fateful on that night for Brazil, uh, Nico. But just run with me on this for one second. When I look at the World Cup, for some weird reason, I think of Star Wars, Star Trek, these sort of shows where you can be maybe in a very cheesy way, uh, but in a very sometimes what feels like a very real way, transported to another world. And you look at some of those people and you think, OK, they're still shaped like a human. But I'm not sure that I 100% relate to that person. In many ways, I think Brazil are that team. And I don't mean in terms of the way they look. I mean, in terms of culture, I feel like culture-wise, a lot of people from Europe very often struggle to understand Brazilian culture and how fervid and fevered it can get. Um, and, and maybe struggle to relate to the experiences of those players. And sometimes I think we look at Brazil through a European lens and don't quite see the, the best of what we could see of Brazil. Do you know what I mean? We just sort of go, they're pretty. Uh, or they, they play, uh, you know, ugly football under Dunga if you want. And we never quite get to the crux of why Brazil is Brazil. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, definitely. I can definitely understand the sentiment that you're trying to push across. And I think it's it's something that even though, you know, we've, we see a lot of the commercialization of the identity of Brazil, you know, this Joga Bonito commercials with Nike and stuff like that, that to me, at least from the Brazilians that I've spoken to and the time that I've spent within the country and the experience that I've had with South American culture in general, I think is something that is genuine to an extent. Like they, they do really hold their football to an almost religious degree. And I think under Tite, that's probably been the biggest thing is that getting back to that it's not just succeeding on the international stage. That's obviously an important thing for any country that, that wants to play football, but it, it's about enjoying it and, and playing, playing to the standard that I think not only that country demands, but to a certain extent expects because that's, that's the joy of the game. It isn't just about being good. It's about having fun. And if you can combine those two things with exceptional players, it's almost, it goes back to that idea that every national team revolves around to a certain extent, which is that I think the reason that we view international football with such a romance is that at the end of the day, I think the only qualification you have to have for making it onto the national team technically is your ability as a footballer. And, you know, you don't have to play for a professional club. You don't have to technically be, have any sort of resume. If you, you know, through some stroke of luck, prove to the national team coach in some way that you could, you could kick it amongst the best, then you could make the team. And I think that's, that's clear with Brazil is that, there is um, a genuine sense of attachment between the footballing culture that has been so prominent and such a big part of that nation for so long and those players. And I think under Tite, that that's what they're kind of getting back. Mm, it's certainly interesting. I mean, uh, Chris, in many ways, uh, their greatest strengths and weaknesses uh, from four years ago are still very much the same, aren't they? Uh, you know, looking at the fact that they rely, they seem so reliant on the talisman of Neymar and the fact uh, I think I think I was watching some highlights of a friendly they had the other day. Uh, first half, no Neymar. Second half, Neymar. They look much more confident. People seem to play uh, as the Brazil 
that they know. And it, it, it was unusual to watch because what you'd normally say is those guys are almost talismanic themselves for um, their own teams. You know, the, the Coutinho type is talismanic for Liverpool and Brown in many ways has been fantastic. Barcelona or, uh, on his way towards being fantastic for them. Um, you know, but Paulinho is considered to be a great player. Firmino himself is talismanic. Um, and of course, Gabriel Jesus is considered to be one of the most exciting young talents, especially under Pep Guardiola. But so many people are hanging everything on Neymar. Um, do, do you think that almost plays into their weaknesses a little bit? Um, I think I think this is the difficult thing, and and it's true. I think of not just Brazil as as a big team. That yes, they have a fulcrum in Neymar, in the same way that Argentina do with Messi. It's about whether they elevate that talent or rely on it. And I think having watched Brazil, I don't get the sense that they're going to be over reliant. I think I get the feeling that there's an understanding of of what is needed to put Neymar in the best position to succeed. Um, and that he can be an individual difference maker in that in that context. But at the mm-hmm. same time, I think the players around him, yes, I look at you know the the defense. Th- there's elements of it that are enticing in terms of Marcello is one of the best attacking left backs, if not the best attacking left back in the world. But they've also lost Dani Alves, and Danilo has to come in, who's a very different kind of player to Dani Alves. And and how will that? affect the balance of the defence, for, for argument's sake. I think the midfield has a fairly decent balance to it overall, so that's not a huge concern. Um, but, like I say, you look at that that back line, and, and you do have to try and find a weakness, unfortunately, in every squad. So maybe it's being overcritical towards Brazil, but I do just look at that back line, and I think there's weaknesses there. Thiago Silva is, you know, as, as you said there before, he's also 33. That's That's not... That's not at his peak. Let's put it that way. Um, Miranda is the same age. You, you know, the you look right across. Even Marcello's thirty. It's there's not a lot of youth in there. Um, but it, is is it not? And I'm I'm only really making an argument for argument's sake. I've, I've not watched a lot of Brazil. I'll be honest. But I, you know, obviously we we know what the DNA of this team is, or we feel like we know what the DNA of this team is. Maybe we don't. Um, but where we where we say you know, uh, thirty three years old. Serbia have also got some older, more uh, what you describe as veteran players. That veteran nature of these guys can also be something which carries them forward, can't it? And in front of a young, you know, relatively young, uh, confident goalkeeper who has a manager who backs him, um, it, that that looks a lot more um, exciting. And also, obviously, they've got someone like Casemiro in midfield. Uh, maybe not always, but you know, certainly have someone the option of someone like Casemiro in midfield and someone like. Roberto Firmino, who will be people who can break up the play high up the pitch um, and take the ball forward, immediately give it to a Coutinho, immediately give it to a William, immediately put it out towards Neymar or be playing a through ball into the feet of, uh, you know, Firmino who can put it off or uh, Gabriel Jesus. So it's not as if if they're the the first line of defence in that sense, is it? No, I think I think that's something else that you touched on there with with the goalkeepers in in Alisson and Edison, You've got two fantastic goalkeepers. I'm not sure if there's a country with better strength and depth than goalkeeper. If I'm if I'm honest, and England, and as we, mate, England. Sorry, you know. <laughs> and and as we saw this season with with Manchester United, if you've got a great goalkeeper as they do with David Haya, that can sometimes smooth out a lot of the rough edges that your defense will will present itself. And so they'll finish second, is what you're saying. <laughs> Um, oh, I've missed this. God, I've missed this. Um, right. I, I think it's certainly something to consider. That's that's the difficulty. And breaking down the squad 
into individuals or the defence, the midfield, the attack. You then have to circle back into the the holistic sort of complexity of the entire squad and how that all relates to each other. And I think that's the key is that, yes, there's a, there's a weakness in the defence, but as we've seen with Alisson and Edison, I would say more so with Alisson actually in the in the Champions League springs to mind. He He's played in some games where, yeah, he's come under significant action and performed admirably. The game against Shakhtar away in Donetsk um, is, is the one that jumps to my mind as, as a game that he absolutely clawed them through that game. Um, and so, yeah, I, th- I think you'd be mad to rule Brazil out of being in that final four, personally. Um, but at the same time, I'm not convinced just yet that they win it. Maybe some solid group performances will will change my mind on that. But right now, I need a little bit of convincing, I think. It's, it's going to be a difficult group to give some solid group performances in because, of course, they are also up against the likes of uh, Switzerland, Serbia, Costa Rica in this group. Um, there's a lovely story that uh, I've been told a couple of times offset, uh, on set, but offset, uh, when working a few years ago with Kevin Gallagher on the Home Nations Football Show. And, and Marcus Bowe, before Randall tells it far better than I do or recounts it better. But the basic idea is when, you remember when Scotland played Brazil, it was a, it was a big game, but the players were told they couldn't warm up out on the pitch for whatever reason. I think it might have been weather conditions. It might have been, there was something else in there. And so they were told they had to warm up in the corridor. And... Um, no, Kevin Gallagher said he was doing sprints in the corridor and there was a door between where the Brazilian players were doing their warm-up and the Scottish players were doing theirs. And Kevin says to one of his friends, let's take a peek through the window and see what's going on there. So they go to the window and all the Scottish guys are sweating. They're sort of getting their sweat on and beginning to um, worry and they look through, and the Brazilian players on the other side, and I shit you not, are just dancing. And he says at that point, he knew something weird was going on. And it, he said at the time, it sort of gave them a little bit of confidence, because it made it look as if Brazil were too confident. But, but then you also, in retrospect, realise that that is what Brazil doing. That's not down to confidence. That is actually just down to the culture. And that, Nico, is, I guess where the final question is, is, is everything set up in the way that Brazil needed to be set up for them to have the World Cup that they want? Or is it going to be one where the likes of a Serbia, the likes of a, um, a Costa Rica or even um, you know, a Switzerland can get into them and rock them a little bit? I don't think so. I think, as you're saying there, they have the ability to, to go into this with a bit of confidence. I think with the 2014 World Cup, speaking maybe to more narrative-oriented uh, lines, they had a greater deal of expectation because of the maybe lack of success that they had seen because the competition was in Brazil because of a myriad of factors. But I think with this one, like you're saying there, the, the culture comes through. And I think these both the team in, in many different aspects, whether it be Neymar, Coutinho, even guys like uh, uh, Casemiro and, and Gabriel Jesus, like, there's just so many options for them to succeed. And I think given the fact that a lot of these guys have maybe speaking more tactically, have played in similar systems where they're used to having the ball regardless of the pressure and they can play through pressure and they can do different things. They can provide uh, different complexity and that obviously echoes across the goalkeepers from Allison to Ederson. I, I, I just don't see how many teams will be able to touch them in any way, shape or form because they'll, they'll be looking to play that style of football that almost no one can and I think is almost entirely Brazilian. So I think it'll, it'll be a very good tournament for them. I mean, you, you can really hope so. And I, I'm obviously open so as well, because I'd love to see the likes of Firmino and obviously um, Coutinho win uh, something this season. Um, it's a joke. 
let's move on to the guys that could disrupt that, right, Chris? I mean, Switzerland themselves uh, have disruptive people within that squad. Jaden <laughs> uh, Sh- Shakiri, Granit Xhaka um, are two names that spring to mind, maybe just because I'm a massive fan of the Premier League or uh, watch the Premier League more than anything. I'm not really a massive fan of it. Um, what, and obviously there's there's other people in there, like Steiner um, and Jan, Jan Sommer. It's a squad which screams uh, tough. Am I right? Yeah, it, it, stream, it screams, I would say, functional, uh, workmanlike. Yes, it has little, little dribs and drabs of quality. You talked about some of the names there. Um, but I watched Switzerland's playoff against Northern Ireland, and I will never get that time back. Um, right. Yeah, understood. Yeah. Although, there, let me just be clear, there is no time in your life that you're ever going to get back. A valid point, a totally valid point. Um, but they were just, they weren't the most exciting. I mean, look, they had some decent little players, um, some of the younger surely players. Shakiri, surely Shakiri could be one of those players again, right, Chris? Yeah, of, of course. He's the one that stands out in the final third because... You look at the clubs he's played for. You look at the quality we know he has anyway. I mean, Brilan Bolo, who is, I think, still to date, the most expensive Swiss player in, in history, yeah. is a potentially very good player. Um, he's still only 21. That's something to, to sort of consider as well. Um, and that's the thing. Like I said, they've got some decent young players sort of dotted around the, the squad. Uh, Zakaria, the, the one who I watched against Northern Ireland, was a very dominating central midfielder. Manuel Akanji, who's just moved to, to Dortmund, is a good centre-back. It's trying to find those those difference makers in the final third that I struggle when you take Shakiri out of that conversation because Seferovic hasn't had a great season at Benfica, hasn't been great at international level really of late. I think he only gets about one in five, something like that. Um and so, yeah, you, you're trying to find someone that would give them a bit of a bit of a spark, almost. And 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 there just isn't anyone there. Like I say, it's a very workmanlike squad. Um, and I think if you look, almost really for me at the last two tournaments, or or at least with with 2014, sorry, the thing about Switzerland was they were that they were a one nil win type team. They didn't really, for my mind, try and go out and be. Sensational. I know they put a few past Honduras, but that was an awful Honduras side. Um, and so that's that's where I fully expect them to to be like that again. And I could see them getting a similar sort of result to the one that they did against Spain um, a few to- a few years ago. But even then, it, it's it's not something where I'm expecting them to be sensational um, from an entertainment but, but you- standpoint. Which is fair, especially certainly sort of relatively within this World Cup. Uh, Nico, I don't think anyone is uh, relatively expecting Switzerland to be incredibly exciting, but then they do have people in there who are very likable. Don't I mean, you know, you, uh, whether you consider Shakiri to be likable or not, whether you, you consider Granit Xhaka to be likable or not, um, I guess it's the problem is that these guys also have the what word can I use to describe this? Uh, they can be sloppy at times. Do you know what I mean? Um, and that at a World Cup ruins it because we will all remember that great Shakiri. Was it an overhead kick or was it just bicycle kick uh, in the World Cup? That was a great moment. Um, but then it's, it's obviously ruined by the sloppiness of everything else that goes on. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the key here for the rest of this group is that I think regardless of opposition and even later down the competition, Brazil will be 
dominant and they'll be very good and it'll be very tough to beat them but with the rest of these teams despite the individual quality given to them um i think maybe costa rica side but that lies more in the system um it's 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 more about putting together a cogent idea, and although they you know Switzerland have guys like Ricardo Rodriguez, as you mentioned, Granit Xhaka, who I think takes far too much stick for the uh, for the perilous role that he plays in the Arsenal midfield, and obviously Jordan Shakiri moving forward, it's it's about who's going to put together the 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 most cogent idea between really them and and Serbia, and I think despite the fact that Serbia has more talent, I could see this team um, putting together a better idea because. Uh, because that's what I've seen them seen of them in in the run up to the competition. I know that we have talked a little bit about you know their their previous competitions, but I think given the fact that they have sort of an identity type player in each position, I I think they'll probably do better than Serbia. That like I said, I think are more talented, but don't have the ability to put together a consistent style. And that you know you can put the best players in the world on one team, but if you have a, a team that's better drilled, um, you know that'll ultimately be more successful. There's someone else as well, Chris, uh, who's obviously doesn't, doesn't really play that often for um, Benfica, Staferovic, uh, who's obviously also got a Balkan name. Um, uh, he's, he is partly what they're pinning some of their hopes on up front out, alongside Shakiri, isn't he? Which is kind of unusual because he very rarely plays for Benfica. Yeah, which I think in some ways goes to highlight the problems that they've got in the final third. Um, you look at sort of the other options. Josip Drimic was... A good goal scorer uh, when he was at Nuremberg. That got him a move to Leverkusen that didn't pan out. Um, he's then bounced, I think, from Gladbach and Hamburg and not really found goal-scoring form ever since. Um, and then, you know, Mario uh, Gravanovic, who, to be very honest, he's not a player I'm overly familiar with. Um, I looked him up sort of just the other day and, and his numbers were good in leagues that I think it's fair to say we don't consider top leagues um, with the greatest of respect to them. So, so again, there's no, there's no striker that we're looking at saying, well, this is the obvious first choice and this is the man that will, will potentially get them goals. Fair enough. Uh, moving on to uh, the other side that we've not really spoken that much about so far, but has some notable names in there. And um, someone in particular that you're going to know a fair bit about, Chris, is, um, is it Marco Arena, who plays for LAFC? Um, and obviously, Kelly Navas, Real Madrid goalkeeper, and someone else that uh, a lot of people know would be Joel, Joel Campbell, who's now at Real Batiste. Um, do you think that they have the ability to shock or maybe surprise, less, less shock, more surprise, uh, that they did just a couple of years ago? It's an interesting one, that, because not a lot has changed. I mean, the coaches swapped out. Obviously, there was that scandal with Palo One Shot, where he essentially tried to beat a man up on the sidelines. Um, that's not scandalous. That's just beating a man up on the sidelines. And and Oscar Ramirez has, has come in and, and, like I said, kept a lot of the foundations the same. They still like to use wing-backs. Um, I think they still see a lot of their attacking prowess. Through that, you've got Celso Borges in the middle who will control things. Joel Campbell is almost the Shakiri figure, if you will. Um, I think the difference between Switzerland and Costa Rica is Costa Rica have almost worked out a way to try and mitigate the fact that they don't have a very proficient goal-scoring centre-forward. Because Marcus right, yeah. Urania is he's not that. He's, by all accounts, a lovely guy, but not someone that will put the goal in, in the back of the net regularly. So what they get him to do is to be a nuisance. They get him to run the channels, to put pressure on centre-backs, so against England. 
And the idea is, is that he causes so much confusion and chaos in the box that that's when a Campbell or a Brian Ruiz comes in and provides the finish. So I think there's certainly a lot of similarity. I don't think they'll obviously have that surprise factor, much like Iceland, for example. But I think there's still enough of an underpinning of actual quality, which I think, as Nico touched on before, is because of the system and how well it fits the players, that they could do something. Nico, do you think that's part of the problem here is that they're actually just in a group, what you consider for them, a group of death? Yeah, I think that's the the major thing is that they were a surprise factor at the 2014 World Cup and outside of a few maybe more gimmicky tactics, they don't, you know, that system has served them well, as as Chris is talking about there. But Brian Ruiz, who I think is obviously their star player, um, if you're pinning all your creative hopes on him in a group filled with, like we said, like we talked up about before brazil switzerland serbia uh and themselves i think it's difficult to see given the talent that they get out of that situation i think maybe in a different um in a different reality where they're in a different group then you could see a way through for them but i think the quality is too great at this point yeah that seems fair enough although obviously it's exciting to see costa rica um back again um and obviously uh, chris there's someone from lafc up front uh i mean uh, how does that work with the way that MLS uh, plays? Yeah, it's awkward. It basically means they're going to be missing for a little bit. Um, are, you, which... are you kidding me? Is that like is that not like the stupidest thing that could happen? Or are they just saying like we didn't think any of our guys would get in? <laughs> well, yeah, but isn't it isn't uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Chris? But isn't it be largely because like the MLS wants to be play during this time of the year because they know that they can't compete with the you know with the broadcast of the european league so they try to put it at a different time i mean it occasionally overlaps with the european competition but um i think that's part of the reason i, I think it's certainly not ideal you're, you're definitely right to to come to that conclusion um and there have been calls for people to to move that about anyway and to to get on what you might call a european schedule um I mean, saying that, some of the Scandinavian leagues run through a similar time, so it's not even that European, you could argue. I, th- I think it's it's certainly not ideal. Funnily enough, Urena uh, plays almost an identical role for club and country. Bob Bradley picked him up from San Jose in the off-season and um, identified that you know he could be that sort of piano carrier up front as a forward, which sounds weird to say of a striker. Um, but essentially, he could play that role for LAFC and allow the likes of Carlos Vela and Diego Rossi to be the finishing touches on the the opportunities that he creates. I even wrote something actually for American Analysis Evolved to that effect, just detailing what kind of player he is and why, even though he's not um, a headline grabber, he's so influential to the way that LAFC attack. And I think he's he's probably of similar importance to to Costa Rica, even though Brian Ruiz and, and Joel Campbell have the the name recognition. Certainly interesting. Let's finish on a team that I think a lot of people will be less familiar with, mainly because um, the Balkan area doesn't tend to get as much attention. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah, there's a lot of mixed feelings around Serbia as an international nation and the way they treat other nations. But uh, there is uh, somewhat of a, uh, I want to say, uh, media narrative of magic around the Serbia side. People seem to enjoy a lot of their players. People seem to enjoy watching them. And obviously they have people um, who are seen as the, the tough guys within their team, Nico. Alexander Kolarov, a guy you're familiar with, obviously. Branislav Ivanovic, who we know from the Premier League, and obviously Nemanja Matic. Now, I'm not saying that's the best spine, but it's certainly an experienced one. And if you put the other uh, youth around that, that Serbia seem to be 
bringing through, then it's something that I think uh, most pundits wouldn't want to count out. But most people would say, well, I still don't feel like this Serbia side can do anything significant at this tournament. I'm I'm somewhere between those two between those two schools of thought because as like you said I think there is a, a certain degree of veteran experience with Kolarov Ivanovic and some of the maybe lesser known guys in, at the back and obviously they have I think a really talented midfield in Matic Milinkovic Savic which I think is everybody's favorite player to both say his name and also talk about in in the context that he might be a large European player in the next coming years and then they have uh, you know other other notable names in there like Dusan Tadic and Adam. Liejic, uh, if I'm saying that correctly, I think like I, Liejic, okay, perfect. There's a there's a really good um, yeah, there's a really good tour that tool that Marka came out with uh, recently that if they, on their website you can somebody has correctly pronounced every single player from every single team at the World Cup. So uh, Marka doing a really good job there. But um, I think like I said before, the difficulty with Serbia is that just like Switzerland, it's who comes up with a better idea, and they have the better talent, yes, but their coach, who I've done a little bit of research on um, before we started talking about him, uh, started talking about him on the podcast, he's this is the only jo- management job he's ever had. He re- represented Montenegro, I think, uh, as a center back and was part of a relatively famous defense, but this is the only uh, coaching experience that he has, and I think to be given this degree of talent to be, or rather, to give this degree of talent to someone as inexperienced as as he is, I think is is probably a misstep from from the Serbian FA, and that's the difficulty here. Is is it fair to say though, obviously that um, they they did very well in qualifying, um, and um, that was partly down to the previous coach um, uh, uh, setting things up. If you like, but this is a very defensive side in itself, isn't it? Yeah, because obviously because of the tendencies of the manager. He played as a center back. I think he wants to perpetuate a defensive style. But the difficulty is finding the harmony within that midfield. And if you can only, similar to Dusan Tadic's club team, if they can only be proficient defensively, I don't think that's going to be good enough in this competition, especially in this group, to move forward. If they are going to shut it down and play a nil-nil, then that's, that's great for them. But in the other games, the teams are going to be scoring. And I think that's where they'll find the difficulty is that they have a talented midfield. They have Mitrovic up front, which I'm, you know, I, I haven't uh, paid attention to too much recently. But I'm sure Chris can tell us a little bit about. I mean, yeah, do, Chris, do you think defenses are terrified because Mitro could be on fire? He got he's had hat tricks recently for a hat trick. Sorry, recently for Serbia. I don't want to mislead you too much. Um, <laughs> and obviously, with Milinkovic Savic being back in the side uh, from, I don't, I don't want to put his time away, but, but you know, the fact that Muslim didn't have him in the side and then he was brought back in. There's something about reinvigorating the team and. It seems that this side is very solid defensively, and then they've got that incredible uh, the ability to be able to just break a side at the other end with the likes of Mitro and obviously Milinkovic Savic. I, th- I think um, the the interesting thing about Serbia, Nico talked about the coach. Essentially, the, his predecessor was ousted because he didn't get on with Milinkovic Savic, which I think shows a lot um, of the, the the pull that he has as a player. For Mitrovic, I think Serbia plays towards him much better than Newcastle have and I think more in line with, with how Fulham have managed to, to do it um, he's not obviously the most mobile of players so he needs I would say movement around him but also a good line of service I think what is interesting to me with the Serbia side on the plus is 
They have a very good midfield, um, anchored by Matic, who is tremendously experienced and, and very tactically astute. That's one of the reasons that, that Mourinho loves him so much. And they do have Milinkovic-Savic, who I think needs more consistency to him, but is still a fantastic player. On the flip side of that, as good as they are in the attack, I think this is maybe a theme developing for the tournament. Defensively, I have some concerns because uh, because I don't think their defence is sort of as strong as it could be. Um, the absence of Matai and Nastasic is an issue um, and will likely force some rejigging. And I think that could be right. the only concern is that we, I've seen a lot of pieces. Rich, Rich Jolly, who's a, um, a colleague and friend who's, who's very good at what he does, wrote a preview that was a little bit, by his own admission, pessimistic and talked about how there'll be a lot more defensive teams, a lot more teams sitting off, a, a, an almost lack of goals, if you will. And I'm not sure if, if Serbia are well set up to be that defensive um, like I said, they've got some fantastic attacking talent. Andrea Zivkovic out wide is, is another good one, who's a young player still, who's had a good season with Benfica. So there's a lot to be excited about with Serbia, I think, um, as a neutral. Um, but I think at the same time, they, they have a pretty glaring weakness at the back. Yeah, and obviously it, it is going to help them that they're in a, a place which maybe feels... Um, uh, no, maybe that's an unfair comment. Um Anyway, uh, moving on to group. But by the way, who do you, where do you see teams finishing within this group? Do you see it as Brazil, then Nico? Uh, I would probably say I will go with Brazil, Switzerland, Serbia, and Costa Rica. Chris, any surprises in this group? Does it seem like uh, the way that we've previewed it is, is the way it's going to uh, go? I think I, f- I feel a strong obligation, um, having been welcomed so much by the Costa Rican people, to go for Brazil, Costa Rica, uh, Serbia, and then Switzerland. Although right, I wouldn't be surprised if Serbia gets second. There is actually uh, a small town with a uh, statue of Kristen in its in the center. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Um, Christaville, I believe it's called. Uh, Cristavia, as they say in Costa Rica. Um, that is true, actually. Um, now, let's move on to Group F, where we will start with uh, a side who, it's fair to say, um, haven't uh, haven't been the side that's more in the news than their neighbours recently. Uh, it's South Korea. Uh, and they've, they've obviously struggled to qualify in the end, uh, but they did qualify, uh, Nico. And it, it, it was fair to say that it was partly down to the motivation over the tactical side. And they pretty much benefited from being... Uh, in an area of the world where that probably plays into their advantage, as uh, Shin Tae-yong uh, basically managed to get his guys across the line and into uh, the World Cup. Let me just say this before we start on South Korea. I, I'm going to really struggle to pronounce a lot of these names, so please uh, bear with me. But 
<laughs> Essentially, yeah, it's it's really racist the way. I've can I just that, ask but... you? I mean, Nico, is, Chris, is there a way that you can record me where I look skinny and thin? And <laughs> is there a way we could do that? <laughs> oh, that Thanks. poor chap's face. <laughs> like he just that learned. Hang on, I'm not skinny and good looking. And <laughs> also, I don't think anyone ever has ever referred to him as that poor chap. <laughs> You know what I mean? The, the only only on, Chris. The, only someone as kind as Chris. The look on his just, face said, this is why they only ever do paintings of me. <laughs> it, it's, also, it's also funny because I, the, the, I'm fascinated with American TV whenever I go that way. And so uh, when I say that way, I mean towards America. I don't mean in any other way. Um, and I uh, recently visited Bermuda, which obviously gets American and my, Miami-tion TV. Um, and Fox News was there. And one of the pundits accidentally referred to the people meeting uh, being Kim Jong-un and Donald Trump as um, two great dictators. Um, and I don't know if that person will ever work again on Fox News, but <laughs> let's find out. Um, anyway, let's get back to a very free nation, uh, South Korea. Uh, and obviously, some people uh, have... Maybe said they missed Gus Hiddink, which seems like a quite rare thing to say for some people. Um, <laughs> but they have said it, Nico. Um, and obviously, a lot of people are pinning their hopes on the likes of uh, Tottenham uh, star Son Hyun Min, and obviously um, the, the the manager motivating the guy to get them over the line. They're five hundred to one to win this World Cup. Yeah, I don't think they'll do anything close to winning but it. A good but outside I think. Bet, a good outside- it's you know if if you have the ability to put five bucks down on it, I mean it's not the craziest idea in the world. Crazier things have happened, as we were talking about before with the Trump presidency. But I think that the the key here is um, is the fact that uh, their coach said that he is he wants to get as close to the Tottenham four four two as he can to give uh, Song Hyun Min the the best ability to succeed. And I think that's a that's a sentiment that if you're going to be direct, if you don't have that many options, a lot of these guys play in Japan and, and the J League and different places in Asia, which obviously I think is an indictment of their talent, although I'm, I'm sure they're great in their own right. Um, then then that's fine to, to be direct. It's fine to set up defensively and try to perpetuate the, the speed and the and the pace that um that Son can can give you. And I think that's that's okay. I think the other person that I've seen talked about a lot is Lee Swung Woo, um, who was a La Masia graduate and, and had a has had a bit of a tough time in his career. I think he's playing in Serie B right now. Um but as far as that, at the time they were quite excited about him, weren't they? When when he uh, was first in La Masia. Yeah, I think anybody anybody making their way or having their footballing education at La Masia is going to be, a, a, you know, an exciting talent. I think um, even though he's had a, a bit of a sputtering, as they say, in, in his in his professional career playing in Serie B, not playing in the top leagues, um, he has made the team and the coach does like him. So I think the connection between those two players is probably going to be important for South Korea. But outside of that, I, I'm, I don't know. I don't know how well they can do by just relying so much on San, which it by both you know the words of their coach and the way that they're going to set up seems to be what what they they might do is it fair to say chris that if your coach says uh, we're going to set up like uh, or as close to as possible the 442 of tottenham hotspur then it's as if he's smoking a j league <laughs> I, th- I think i think look what he's trying to do is you have to remember that that um South Korea lost Lee Kun Hu and, and Kwon Chan Hoon in the in the build up to this. So there's a lot more pressure on Son to be the 
sort of the the driving force in the final third. I know Nico had talked about um, Lee there, who who is with um, Verona, but he hasn't really sort of kicked on as as you would hope. Which sounds so harsh to say, but yeah, a guy so young, but. Um, I think Son is, is very much someone that has to be the star for this team. I mean, the, some of the call-ups are a bit surprising. Moon um, Seon Min, who actually came through the Nike Chance Academy um, and had a spell at Ostersunds, the, the Swedish club. This is not a team that I think has a wealth of, of talent in the final third. So <clears throat> it has pace, it has energy, but actual quality is a different kettle of fish and I think for that reason the coach has decided you know what I need to to give our star guy the the best platform he can to succeed and equally I think personally from what I've seen of this squad elsewhere I think they can set up in that way I think they've got the kind of players to to at least ape most of of what Tottenham try and do elsewhere on the field it won't be a, a direct translation obviously because that's that's not impossible for any national team to do but I think I see a lot of the the common sense and the theory in, in doing what he's trying to there. Mm. Kim Shin Wook is going to have a hard time, or Kim Shin maybe woke, um, maybe having a hard time. He's known as the Korean Yang Collar. Uh, but in this situation, I imagine him giving the bibs out in training and going, you today will be Harry Kane. And him saying, what? Um, let's see, though. 501, decent odds. Uh, and also a good kit, it's fair to say. And a lot of people do judge teams on how they look in the kits. Am I right? Any any team with a tiger, you're fantastic. Yeah. You know. No, it's a really good point. Um, and obviously, uh, I just like I just you know you root for the underdog, don't you, at the World Cup a little bit. Um, and when FIFA rank them 61 in the world, they're an underdog. Let's move on to guys who uh, will be playing without the lion at the centre of their side. Nico, it's Sweden. Um, and coach Jan Andersen, um, can he bring this extremely organised side through this group? Again, a straightforward uh, looking 4-4-2 for them. Um, and they did get above the Netherlands in their group. So what are we going to see here? Uh, obviously, as well, the, the big thing we need to mention is they got past Italy. Uh, and with that sort of mentality and uh, that way about them, do you think they can do the same in this group? I'm going to go ahead and say no. I think this uh, this once again is is an indictment on their coaching talent. He is the best that that nation has to offer, and I think there are a lot more nationalistic reasons as to why he has kept the job and has been appointed in the first place. And, you know, they have some talented players in there. John Guidetti has, has long been, you know, since his days at Manchester City, been wayward uh, at different clubs in Europe. He obviously played against Manchester United last season in the Europa League and missed that big chance, which, you know, it doesn't define him as a player, but he has been relatively inconsistent. Their big star, obviously, is Emil Forsberg the difficulty is I think he'll struggle to create on his own and I think that's kind of what they have to do to succeed in this group they have some talented players spread across the pitch but you know having Victor Lindelof which I think many people would imagine would be their star defender essentially never playing for Mourinho like he played so little at Manchester United um, is, is a problem for, for someone that I think you want to depend on being the leader of that team and being the leader um, at the back. And so I, I think given the fact it's it's a, it's a similar situation to that of Serbia where they have some talents and I think under a different manager could probably do something, but under Anderson I don't see much hope for them, um, especially given the fact that they will be going up against Germany and Mexico who are talented teams both with their players and with their manager. Let's see. Um, Chris, 
obviously, uh, I'm also quite excited to see someone who used to be a player that everyone was touting as a really big Premier League talent, Seb Larson. It's fair to say he's had a uh, pretty good season with Hull, actually. Although a, a couple of players have had good seasons with Hull, and that didn't mean uh, the greatest things uh, would happen for them. But it's still going to be exciting to see someone like that. And it's fair also to say that we may, in the future, see someone like Forsberg um, at a Premier League club as well. So these are Arson. guys... Yeah, Seb Larson, but also Emil Forsberg maybe at a Premier League club in the future, right? <laughs> Either of these guys. One the hearts back, and one could be the future of the Premier League. Am I right, Chris? Yeah, I think, you know, I was talking to um, a, f- a former player who is, is Swedish about six months ago in New York, and we we were actually came across Seb Larson as a topic of conversation. And he Was went, it over Femi Martins? It wasn't, no. Um, right. And, and he kind of remarked, you know, Seb Larson is a good proof that if you work hard and, and run a lot, you can become a professional footballer with just a decent amount of talent. And... And I think that's pretty fair characterization of him. I mean, yeah, he's he's the veteran presence in what is not a young squad, I would say. Um, it has some some older players. And I think that's the, the thing with Forsberg. I don't think Forsberg has hit the heights this season that he did with Leipzig the season previous. Um, but I would certainly say that he's the one that I'm expecting something from in the final third. Um, I look at the, the forwards on option. John Gadetti is... He's a weird one, John Gadetti, because I, I thought he was fantastic at Feyenoord and then he got that horrible injury that just kind of derailed his career. And then you look past him and you've got Marcus Berg, who's out in the Middle East, um, and you've got Ola Toivonen, who, again, w- was okay for PSV and then afterwards he had a, a really forgettable spell at Sunderland, was in France for a bit, I think he's still in Liga now. Not a, not a set-the-world-alike type player by any stretch of the imagination. And so that's kind of what I look at when I see Sweden. It's 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 a team that's very well organised, and I think in the wake of Zlatan, it has almost compacted itself figuratively and literally. It's become tighter as a team. It's become more organised, all this kind of stuff, and, and there's more of a shared responsibility among the group. Um, but as I say, the, the forward line, as I think any forward line would with, with the team that loses Zlatan, it drops in quality a bit now, and and I'm just not sure if they can score the goals that they're going to need. Let's see uh, another side of the World Cup. Of course, and one side who have a nice home and indeed away kit, Nico, is Mexico. Uh, they have some veteran players in there, like some Rafael Marquez. You could say at this point also. You like that away kit, Lawrence? What the the Mexico stripe across the middle? Yeah, I'm not. I, I like their yeah. home kit a yeah, lot I like better, it. but I like the. No, I'm like, not sure like about the away. Now come on, okay. that away kit's nice. No, you got to go with that Mexican green, you know. It has a little Mexican green in it, just across the uh, across the middle. But they, uh, who am I to argue? I only just bought it online, and I'm getting it delivered within minutes. So that's <laughs> fine. Um, talk to me a little bit about this Mexico side um, and how they're going to play, because they have some recognisable names in there. Um, but I, I don't know if they can break out uh, of maybe even the the round immediately after the groups. No, I think they'll be one of the more exciting teams in, in in this World Cup. I'm really excited to see because similar to what we were kind of talking about with Me- with uh, Brazil, rather the the culture around Mexican football is one that is so ingrained. The you know the football going between the the fans and, and the country is so ingrained that it's you know where I think sometimes we see negative relationships between um, the fans and the team and the players and everything surrounding that with 
nations like England, you have a much more cogent sense of pride and, and celebration around the Mexican national team with uh, Mexican football culture. And I think they have the players in, 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 a ver- in a variety of positions that are able to perform at a really high level. Miguel Ayun is someone that I look at and put a great deal of confidence, but specifically Herving Lozano, who has been talked about as a really exciting young talent, obviously coming out of PSV Eindhoven. His wing play is going to be exceptional. Chicharito is still obviously a serviceable striker, and, and someone like Carlos Vela can can offer uh, a lot going forward. And they have a lot of talent in midfield as well. The Dos Santos brothers uh, playing at uh, at LAFC together, but Hector Herrera and um, and Rafael Marquez will offer a, a sense of experience and understanding at a high level that I think is going to be key for this Mexican national team. So I, I really see them being one of the the better and more exciting teams at this at this World Cup. Uh, certainly so, but uh, the the big question really is, Chris, do they have what it takes to get beyond one of the the big boys? Oof. Mexico's biggest problem, honestly, and I could have you could splice this in from twenty fourteen or the Copa America or Gold Cup. Mexico's biggest problem is always themselves. Always, there's there's so much division. There's so much kind of. Um, opinion floating around I think that's its problem I did a uh, worked research on a project last year that was shooting in Mexico and that was my takeaway was that there's so much passion there's so much um, desire for the country to succeed to sort of put itself on the stage where they feel they belong that that passion manifests in negative ways that it ultimately leads them to to destruction of each other and I think the one thing I can say is with Juan Carlos Osorio, you've got someone who is so studious, so detail-oriented, that if any coach, I think, could construct a uh, an, an approach or an idea to beat one of those top teams, it's absolutely him. I think at the same time, and almost on the, the flip side of that same coin, is that he may overthink it. He may try and, and again almost like I say with Mexico and too much passion have have too much time spent trying to to deconstruct the opposition instead of focusing on on what is best to do for the the national team this is a national team that I look at Carlos Vela someone who I think possibly could have done more with his career personally the the Rafa Marquez element yeah he, he's a huge experienced player and he's adored in the country understandably <clears throat> but this is this is his last chance absolutely he is well up there now in age and I think the fact that they also lost Diego Reyes just the other day is a little bit of a concern um, from a defensive standpoint I'd be surprised though if Mexico do anything personally I just think that their their route to this tournament was not great they really um, I think struggled at points and I just don't see that changing don't you let me ask Chris just real quickly don't you enjoy the fact that you know as i kind of mentioned the the parallels between mexico and maybe a nation like england that the the public discourse around them always seems to be negative during a competition before a competition after a competition which to a certain extent happens with every nation and i think every nation with expectation experiences that but at the same time as an american i've seen a lot of um advertising around here obviously the united states won't be going to the world cup so the secondary team i think for a lot of people to root for is mexico there is almost an an acknowledgement in the in the marketing towards this world cup of that that problem that that problem of negativity where they said you know we've gone out in the same 
place every single almost you know for for a number of international competitions um and the world cup and we're going to be the curse breakers that's the marketing around this and as cheesy as it sounds i think there is genuinely something to buy into that when when it comes to this mexican national team i mean yeah i I think look they've definitely got some talent um jesus corona is a good player uh irving lozano is a very very good player i think we'll probably have a breakout tournament to that effect. The concern I have when I drill down on it a bit is who's going to be the shield for those guys? Who's going to be the protector, the number six, if you will? Because I think Hector Herrera is not that. I think Hector Herrera is much more of a box-to-box type midfielder. I don't think Rafa Marquez has the legs to do it. Um, And Jonathan Dos Santos, he might wear the number six, but every time I've watched him for Galaxy, he wants to go forward. He wants to contribute on both ends of, of the field and both sides of the ball. The Jordan Henderson type, eh? Yeah, and so so you need to find a discipline six in there, and I'm just not sure who that's going to be. But I think you're right. There's parallels between England and Mexico. Sorry, guys. Uh, but, uh, I was on mute there. Uh the perils of being new to podcasting um let's go uh, chris just talk to me for just a second about uh lozano we were chatting the other day about another um young ex- exciting uh, striker come winger um from uh edivisi uh is irving lozano in the same mold as uh, a clivert in that he's made a big impact in that league, but may struggle to break out of it, despite the fact that he scored on his debut, is already a dad, um, and and seems to be like one of the young, exciting guys for this team. Yeah, with, with Clive, I'm in a funny place with him because I'm not too sure. I need to see more of him before I can commit to the idea he is this great. Did he not return your text? It, um, he didn't return your text. <laughs> but with with Lozano, Lozano was hugely influential for PSV this season. That's the thing is he he's come into the league and essentially hit the ground running massively. When I watch him play, I appreciate concerns might frustrate some of our listeners, but there's just a little bit of Alexis Sanchez about him in the way that he takes up certain positions, um, the way he sort of carries the ball, that kind of thing. So I think, no, I, I actually think Lozano is much better than, than Clive personally. And I think this tournament will probably go some way to show that. Um, I mean, I'm pretty could, already. Could be a World Cup. Clive won't score a goal at this World Cup. Um, a little dig. Um, could this be a World Cup where we see a young player here who then gets picked up by a, you know, a, um, a Manchester United or a Real Madrid or a, you know, someone like that? Yeah, massively. I think look at 2014. That's what happened with James Rodriguez. Um, it was huge. Right. It was huge for him in in getting him that move. That granted didn't work out too well for him. Um, it's arguably setting back just a tiny bit, but I think at the same time there's there's enough players we talked about on one of the earlier pods the the piece that Mohammed Mohammed did for for the Ringer um, on five potential breakout stars. Two of them do hail from the Erdovis in Hakim Zayak and, and Irving Lozano. So I absolutely think that could be the case. Yeah. Nico, let's move on to Yogi Love and um, the. F1 of the world, if you like, uh, Ben Group F and ranked number one. Um, uh, it's just down to the notes I've made. Um, they are arguably favourites to win the World Cup as the guys who uh, won the previous one. Um, and they have so much strength. It's ridiculous. But at the same time, a lot of people's evaluation of them is that they don't have a standout leader out there, that when they need picking up, um, they could 
go to him. They have a Tony Cruz. They have someone who's consistent. They have a, a Sami Khedira, someone else who can be consistent for them. Uh, a Meza Ozil, someone else who could be consistent. And Thomas Muller obviously goes there, being the guy who snatched the most goals in the World Cup going into this tournament. But still, there are people who want to Yeah, I think it's a natural tendency to probably say, you know, the team that's ranked number one might fail. And given the the paths of Spain and Italy in the past couple World Cups and defending their titles, um, that obviously hasn't gone exceptionally well. But I think the difference here, and I think I always go back to this Jurgen Klopp quote because I think it's fantastic, is that he kind of pointed out after a, a win or a loss or whatever it was, he says, I don't want to win if we don't know how we did it. And I think that's the thing with Germany is that they very clearly understand how they got to where they were in 2014. They very clearly understand how they got to where they are now having this incredibly talented group of players. And I think that's the difference between them and other winners in the past is that they, they know what they were doing, so they can repeat it. That's that's the thing. And um, as you were saying there, maybe some people have doubts as to whether you know they have a leader. And I think there is a very good reason as to why Yogi Lowe selected Manuel Neuer. A lot of people have casted doubt over his ability to, you know, to be that player that he uh, that he was in the past. He's getting up there in age. He didn't play a lot for Bayern this season because of a toe injury. Um, but I think... I wrote something about him a long time ago talking about his effects for for Bayern under Pep Guardiola and I think regardless of whether it's used in that same context I think Manuel Neuer has that ability whether he's being used as a more traditional goalkeeper or one that allows his team to be even better offensively because of the role that he can play as a sweeper keeper I think he will uh, take the place of of Bastian Schweinsteiger as as that leader, and I think he'll do that exceptionally well. I think the the, the doubts uh, um, over this German team are are perfectly natural, but at the same time, like I said before, there is a combination of talent and preparation from the players, the coaches, and the coaching staff, and the people surrounding this national team that I think is really difficult to see past. So honestly, I really wouldn't be all that surprised if they made the final again. I, I, it's really difficult for me to see past it because they make they have the ability to make brave decisions like excluding Leroy Sané, which a lot of people have, have have scoffed at and said, how is that possible? Especially people who watch the Premier League, you know, the PFA Player of the Year. And as a Manchester City fan, I have every reason to appreciate all of his talents. But I think if you have the ability to make that decision, not just for the sake of making it, but understanding that even as talented as Leroy Sané is, Julian Brandt or whoever uh, whoever else Yogi Lowe mentioned might contribute towards a better team effort and a better team performance. Then, if you have the ability to make those decisions, then I think I think you're 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 on a good track. So, Chris, um, your, your opinions on this Germany team? Because I mean, for me, there is an incredible amount of talent in there. It's an incredibly uh, well-balanced side, it's probably fair to say. Uh, and it's, it, you know, you can see the reasons why they won the previous World Cup and why they, of course, are favourites for this one. Yeah, I think, look, they've, they've certainly got a lot of talent. Um, Nico talked to, to that end, and I think you look at the Confederations Cup performance as well. That was was very strong, although winning the, the Confederations Cup is, is usually a bit of a curse for teams as it goes into the World Cup rather than um, is it really? Roman for, for good things. So I, I see a lot of pluses. I'm, I'm just not sure if I can see them um, going all the way again, personally. I know it's a big ask, and you could argue from a club perspective, Real Madrid have destroyed the idea of um, repeats, three-peats, and, and established history, but I'm, I just can't see it, personally. Yeah. How do you feel about Timo Werner? Very talented player, very very good, young, uh, dynamic, mobile striker that I think was maybe stagnating a little bit at Stuttgart 
um, and this move to, to RB Leipzig is has really helped him massively and I can see why he's linked with teams like Liverpool because I think he'd fit in great there um, and I think he gives them something a little bit different in the final third. He certainly, I mean, he snatched a goal um, against Saudi Arabia, uh, another side that everyone's incredibly excited to see at this World Cup. Um, but then also in the, the match before that, Nico, they lost 2-1 to Austria. What's the deal, they, mate? They did, but I think the approach that Yogi Lowe has taken with a lot of these um, these matches leading up to the World Cup, and the, that includes the, the Confederations Cup, which I think a lot of people notably... Um, sort of noticed that they won with their secondary team is that he's taken it as an opportunity to view different things. So the results, especially at international level, and I think that's a level of freedom that he's enjoyed to the fullest extent, um, don't really matter as long as you're you're qualifying. And I think he's he's through all of the games leading up to this competition over the past two years, he's gotten an ability to see because I think as someone who na- who coaches a national team, they don't have the ability to view um, how their team is going to play as often as a club manager might get out of their players. So I think he's taken that opportunity well to see every possible avenue and which one is the best. And I think probably by now he's decided on which is the best one. Do you at all also think it's quite clever? Because I remember um, Jonathan Wilson telling, I know every time I'm on the podcast, I'll say Jonathan Wilson told me a story, but he has told me a lot of stories. But uh, he told me a story about an England uh, coach who I don't remember who it is. I don't even remember the years. But the story still sticks with me every time that I watch Germany and all the different things that Yogi Love does with them. And it's that they still do have this central philosophy and ideas and how they want to play is that he's trying to fit the pieces into them. And also, he doesn't want to show the way that this Germany side can play when they get into their full stride, because then people will be able to look at it and go, well, we can break this down. We could do this. This needs to happen here uh, in order for us to beat them. Now, that can be good and bad because maybe players might not feel the confidence they need to going into um, a tournament. But the, my, the, the core of my point is basically it means that it makes them very hard to, to guess or second guess, Kristen, what you're going to be playing against. And you'll know roughly the pieces and where they fit. But there isn't anything in there which um, is easy to negate. Because if you, uh, you know, if they don't play a Gundogan, uh, then Tony Cruz is going to have another partner. If if Schuller doesn't play, Schuller doesn't play alongside, uh, say, uh, uh, a Boateng, then they'll play Hummels. Um, and arguably, you know, the, the fullbacks are um, pretty much nailed down at this point, but Emre Chan could play there. Um, you know, they're going to have, like you say, a Mamor Neuer. But if they don't want to rely on a, a Timo Werner, then they do have other attacking uh, talented players. Uh, obviously, Sane's not going, but other people who can go and score goals for them. Is it that it's very hard to second guess this Germany team, and that's what makes them quite quite tricky to preview, really? Uh, Chris, are you there? Maybe it is just you and I, Nico. Right. Okay. Fine. Uh, it, I mean, uh, Nico, it's fair to say that um, it makes it very hard to preview uh, this this Germany team because of that. Yeah, yeah I, I think, think um, like, like you were saying, saying they, they they have, and like, like I alluded to before, they have a a ton of different avenues in which they can pursue um, to success. But for other teams, it makes it difficult to break down. At the same time, even if they had the game plan, I think the fact that it's so complete with a variety of different players, even if you understood fully what they were going to do, the less complex teams and obviously the ones that they'll be facing uh, first off in their group aren't going to be able to stop that. So, right. I, I just I think. 
similar to Spain, there have been issues in the past for Germany where maybe they didn't have a, a player in a natural position. They've struggled, I think, to find a striker for a long time. And that's why Mario Gomez once again finds himself in the in the squad. But this year, given the fact that they have Werner um, as a different option and one that is exceptionally talented, um, like I said before, I think it's just it's too much power and too much preparation. Yeah, that certainly is part of it, isn't it? Uh, what about obviously Nico? Um, the side of um, the side of fact they have a great kit. Do you think the kit? Yeah, I think um, like you were saying, they they have and like I alluded to before, they have a a ton of different avenues in which they can pursue um, to success. But for other teams, it makes it difficult to break down. At the same time, even if they had the game plan, I think the fact that it's so complete with a variety of different players, even if you understood fully what they were going to do, the less complex teams and obviously the ones that they'll be facing uh, first off in their group aren't going to be able to stop that. So I, I just I think similar to Spain, there have been issues in the past for Germany where maybe they didn't have a, a player in a natural position. They've struggled, I think, to find a striker for a long time. And that's why Mario Gomez once again finds himself in the in the squad. But this year, given the fact that they have Werner um, as a different option and one that is exceptionally talented um like i said before i think it's just it's too much power and too much preparation yeah that certainly is part of it isn't it uh what about obviously nico um the side of um the side of the fact they have a great kit do you think the kit is great i mean i don't know you know i mean it's all right i wish there was a little bit more color there's only black and white in there what about the red what about the yellow what about all that stuff you know i mean the the away kit is nice but Really? People seem to like that green. I'm not, I don't know why. I like, no, they came, I, I don't know if you were wearing it in your Instagram picture, but. That's a classic Germany kit. That's a, that's, that's yeah, that's the one they should have emulated, I think. It was better. You know, it's got a little bit of color. It's got a little bit of, of, uh, of life in there, not just, you know, black and white. I mean, life can sometimes be, uh, like a lot of people say, life is not black and white, but life sometimes can feel that way, Nico. Do you think in many ways Adidas is trying to underscore the fact that when people simplistically look at the World Cup and they look at the two tones, they say life itself is black and white and therefore Germany will win the World Cup. Yeah, but what they could say is, you know, life's black and white, but here's this this amongst the, the, the terror of eternal existence is this color of life, is this spark of happiness that is the world cup that's what we want to say with our world cup kits not just black and white do you genuinely think that the world cup is a spark of happiness when it's being hosted in russia no but at the same time for me yes <laughs> I mean, i'm trying to be as open as possible about russia because it's the politics that i dislike but not the people that's the main problem isn't it about russia yeah, yeah i mean it's the same so thing with, the, with americans right it's you know our our leaders are not necessarily a representation of the people so i and think there are uh, yeah, out that's there. a very good point. It's fair to say, though, that one really does love the other leader. Um, Definitely. Uh, but, but which tyrant am I talking about? Um, you'll never find out. Uh, find out on the next uh, preview podcast. Uh, if you yourselves have views on the World Cup and how we previewed it, then do let us know. Uh, follow us on Twitter, which is at the front three. Uh, Nico, if people want to go follow you, where can they go? They can find me and all of my upcoming World Cup preview work at Nico underscore O'Morales. Also, I'll be doing stuff for the athletics, so go follow them. Make sure you have your trial set up or you subscribe. It's really great content, and there's a deal going on for the World Cup. 40% off your subscription, so go check that out.
We should have done the same on the front three. It would have worked well. Uh, <laughs> it's been good uh, to be back. Let me just say, let me just say quickly, Lawrence. It's been a fantastic uh, to have you back because I think you bring uh, an amazing quality to the podcast, and I always love talking to you. So it's fair to say that without me on the podcast, the podcast is very much like the current Germany kit. <laughs> Uh, classic there we go but indeed it doesn't have any red uh because Kristen is indeed a newcastle supporter and you are a sky blue um and i don't mean anything else in terms of content Uh, i've been listening and it is it's genuinely good content um uh, hopefully in fact i know i'm going to be back a lot more so if you don't like me um (laughs) but i will be around a lot more during the world cup mainly because i'll have the time to be able to do those things i of course will be doing the live shows during the world cup uh, and today, I just got very excited because the the most exciting part of the World Cup for me is all the graphics that people come up with. Uh, and I just saw the graphics that we're doing for our shows. Uh, and so that's very exciting. And he was fully Hopefully. erect, folks. So help him out. In many that. ways, I was. There's a map involved. It shows Russia. It shows the stadiums. <laughs> it gives information. It, I don't know how to express are it. You, are you guys doing the? Are you guys doing like a kickoff version for the World Cup games? We're doing, doing all the England games and then some more games. And um, we're obviously doing the World Cup final. So you're uh, only going to be in the group stage. Four games. You're, you're going. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean that was the joke that went around the office, and then we very quickly realized shit that should actually be the case. Um, but of course there is a lot more World Cup content to come around that time. I believe XO, the channel, I don't know if you know what it is, it's a video channel, um, is doing a World, it, like a, a World Cup challenge thing. Uh, and then Ball Street, of course, which I also have a little bit of influence on, is doing some more stuff. And hopefully uh, the front three can also do some stuff. Um, so join us throughout the Ball Street that. videos um, are the sweatiest I've ever seen David Priest in my life. Now, so. I, I believe that's I because you guys have AC. I believe that's because, yeah, I mean, Ball Street definitely doesn't have AC, but it's also because David Priest had rushed from somewhere else to get to that very location. I messaged David myself and said, you were great, if sweaty. Um, and he replied uh, in saying, thanks, uh, thanks. Anyway, it's been good to see you guys. Uh, I will see you for the next set of previews as well, because I quite like groups uh, G and H, and I believe they're quite exciting. I'm still looking for a World Cup kit to wear. I bought both the Argentina ones, but Nico, do you have any preference on what you... I genuinely am getting that Mexico away kit. Well, that's um, good. I think the Spain one, Spain home, is brilliant. Uh, I also really enjoy... Well, there was one... Oh, yeah, the, the Africa kits are great. I think Senegal has a good one, so... Uh, yes, although my main problem is it, uh, there's the accusations of cultural appropriation that people have, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you know but what I mean? fuck that. Wow, there's music coming out of a very close room to me, so it's best that I leave. Um, It's been good to have you guys. We'll see you again real soon right here on TF3. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 